Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Well, I'm really glad that you got to listen to the conversation that I had on Tuesday with five fraud fighters for online companies. To me, those conversations are magic. I really enjoy them so much. And it's the reason why we're creating the Fraudology community, the membership community that will be for fraud fighters by fraud fighters. It will be just for practitioners. There will be more announcements for it later. But that conversation was just a slice of why it's so important to me to create opportunities for community amongst fraud leaders. It's important for them to talk with each other, to share ideas, to get ideas from each other, but also for, you know, listeners for the conversations that will be recorded and not all of them will be to get to listen in as well. I know that it's beneficial, not just for their peers to listen in on these conversations, but also for solution providers. I think there's often a disconnect between the people who are buying or who are seen as buyers who may not be in a position to buy now and the people who are selling. And if Tuesday's episode can help with that and bridge that gap a little bit, then I feel like I've done my job. But today I wanted to share a couple of news stories for the week. I'm going to bring back the what the fraud segment because there's a story that just deserves it. And then we're going to talk a bit about the Loan Depot data breach that was just announced this week. Uh, There were almost 17 million individuals affected in the US, that's 17 million credit files, essentially, Um, all the information that's needed to steal those identities. And then there's a story that caught my eye this week about how Mexican drug cartels are turning to financial fraud and making almost as much money as they do in the drug trade. And that's something that Frank McKenna and I have talked about before. Frank really brought my attention to it, I don't know, several months ago when he was on the podcast talking about how he believes that instead of seeing narco states, we will see fraud states. And that story caught my eye. And so I was going to share that as well. I'll start off with the what the fraud segment of the week. And I do have to give thanks to Frank McKenna. He always does such a good job of compiling great fraud stories on his Frank on Fraud newsletter that comes out on Tuesdays. I had to text him to ask him if he came up with this term himself or if uh, it was in the article and I just didn't see it somewhere. But his headline was idiot stick tries to buy Porsche with $78 million check. (laughs) And I was like, was idiot stick your term? Or was that um, a term in the article that I just didn't see? Or was it in a different article? And he said, Oh, no, I came up with that myself. So good job, Frank. It made me giggle. All right. So I'm going to read this article just because it's kind of funny. And sometimes it's good to laugh at the fraudsters that aren't as good at their job uh, that make our jobs easier. So the headline of this article is Indiana man arrested after reportedly trying to buy a Porsche with $78 million check. Last time I checked, Porsches don't 
cost $78 million. But this happened in Louisville, Kentucky in the US. Uh, An Indiana man was arrested Wednesday after he allegedly tried to buy a Porsche from a dealership with a $78 million check and then refused to leave when he was turned down. Arrest documents show Connor James Litka, 21, of Bloomington, Indiana, walked into the St. Matthews Porsche dealership on Bowling Boulevard with a $78 million check in hopes of buying a new Porsche. When dealership employees refused to sell him the car, Litka allegedly walked around to the back entrance of the dealership looking for car keys. He refused to leave until the dealership sold him the Porsche. Scared he might do something reckless, employees called the police and Litka was arrested. He faces one count of criminal trespass and one count of disorderly conduct he didn't actually steal the car. Through their investigation, St. Matthew's police said they found that he had attempted a similar tactic the day before at a Land Rover dealership. Lika allegedly tried to buy a Land Rover there with a $12 million check. So there's no details on whether this was a check that he wrote out for that amount or if it was a stolen check. No details on if it was a cooked check or a cleaned check or any of those with check fraud, but I just... That's kind of a what the fraud moment where it's really, but you know, as I mentioned before, I only bring back that segment for the good stories. I don't want to bring it back every week and then have to find them and, you know, try to make something a what the fraud moment when it's not, but I thought this one qualified. So I do know from speaking to several listeners that people are still dealing and, and will be dealing with for some time credential stuffing attacks on the rise especially because of the mother of all data breaches that was talked about a couple of weeks ago. That data breach uh, was, I want to say it was 65 million records. And it was the most records that have ever been released. And it was released out into the public. So uh, if you are seeing credential stuffing attempts on the rise for account takeover, uh, whether it's for your financial institution or for your e-commerce company or others, just know that that is probably why. But in the world of data breaches, there was a new one this week that I thought it was worth highlighting. And the headline for this article is Loan Depot ransomware attack exposed 16.9 million individuals. So the lending firm Loan Depot uh, provides mortgages. um, And they've said that the personal information of 16.9 million people was stolen in a ransomware attack in early January. So the incident was actually disclosed on January 4th when the mortgage and non-mortgage lending company told the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission that it identified unauthorized activity on certain systems and that it took them offline to contain the incident. In an update on January 22nd, Loan Depot estimated the number of potentially impacted individuals at 16.6 million without providing details on the type of personal information that might have been compromised. Last week, however, the mortgage giant informed the Maine Attorney General's office that more than 16.9 million were in fact impacted and that it has started sending out notification letters to them. Within this notification letter, it reveals that the impacted information includes names, addresses, email addresses, phone numbers, dates of birth, social security numbers, and financial account numbers. As is typical in such cases, Loan Depot is offering free identity protection and credit monitoring services to impacted individuals and encouraging them to watch for suspicious activity performed in their name. The biggest reason why I wanted to mention this is because those of us in fraud, we're the ones that see data breach information being monetized. say it all the time. That's why I try to cover the big data breaches that happen. And it may be that you won't see this for a few weeks or even a few months, but especially if you are on the lending side of fintech or financial services, if you have credit cards issuing, any kind of banking services, 
chances are you're going to see more identity theft uh, because of this. That's a lot of information. I mean, pretty much that's everything you need to fill out a credit a credit request. And I don't know if it's possible to set up rules based on companies that are within a user's profile, like within their credit report. But it's not just, it looks like the people who are impacted are not just people who have currently have mortgages or loans, active loans with the company Loan Depot. It looks like it's also anyone who applied for a loan with them, or at least a great number of people who applied for a loan. So you're not just looking for people who have active loans with them. You're looking for people who have had credit pulls from this company as well. It's also possible that you could see account takeovers at banks, you know, with ID verification, right? If you don't have multi-factor authentication, or maybe they did a SIM swap for, you know, OTP, something like that. Just things to watch out for, which I know you always are, but sometimes it's good to just remember or know what's happening. And I know that oftentimes when fraud goes on the rise, whether it's identity theft or another type of fraud, other people within your company may say, was there a list somewhere or was there a data breach? So in this case, you can say, yes, there was. And 16.9 million records is nothing to sneeze at. That's quite a lot of information. In this case, it's good that Loan Depot is offering credit monitoring services. I often roll my eyes when credit monitoring services are offered when credit card numbers are stolen or, you know, username and password are exposed because those won't do anything. But in this case, they will, you know, alert the owner of the credit report if someone is trying to open a loan in their name. So that is important for consumers who may have been affected. If you're a regular listener of Fraudology, you've heard me talk about SPEC. Not only does their no-code platform let you instantly assemble the fraud solutions that you need to stay ahead of bad actors, but Spec's long list of integrations is always growing, empowering you to orchestrate your data to create customized customer journeys. Spec lets you stay ahead of fraud while enabling great customer experiences for your legitimate users. Request your personalized demo of Spec's Trust Cloud today at specprotected.com. That's www.specprotected.com. Or you can visit their website by clicking the link in today's show notes. And then it is kind of a short news week this week. That's probably a good thing, I hope. (laughs) But I did see this story and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just, I found it interesting given what Frank McKenna has said before about, you know, seeing a shift from narco states to fraud states and seeing organized crime really benefit so much from financial fraud. We see that a lot in Southeast Asia, but it's happening in Mexico as well. There was an article that came out this week about thousands of Americans that are falling prey to a Mexican cartel timeshare scams. So timeshares are, I think they're probably more of an American thing. I don't know if they're popular in Europe or other parts of the world, but timeshares allow people to purchase time at a condo to share it with other people. So you may spend $50,000 for a condo that you get to go to for two weeks out of the year for the next 50 years or something like that. These were especially big before Airbnb. I don't know if they're as big, but there are still a lot of retirees, people in their 50s and 60s that have timeshares and may not be using them. And the hard thing about timeshares is reselling them, especially because they often come with maintenance fees every year. So on top of the 50,000, and that's just 
a ballpark estimate for one of them. On top of the 50000 you may have several thousand dollars a year in care fees that you have to pay to your timeshare. So oftentimes once people have been to the same timeshare f- often enough or they just don't want to go to that one anymore, they may try to sell out their timeshare. And what's happened is that the Mexican cartel, one, one of the two biggest cartels in Mexico, has bought lists of timeshare holders within a couple of very popular tourist cities in Mexico. And they've set up call centers. And those call centers are calling these people from 9am to 6pm, offering to buy their timeshare. And uh, once they have someone on the hook to buy their timeshare from them, then they say that there just needs to be, you know, so they'll say, oh, we're going to buy your timeshare for more than it's worth. Um, maybe you paid $50,000, they'll offer 75000 Great deal. All you have to do is pay the tariff fees or, you know, tax fees uh, for money to be transferred from Mexico to the U.S., what ends up happening is they take those fees, but then they never buy the timeshare. In some cases, there were people who then once they fell for that the first time, then someone would call back and say that they were working for a Mexican law firm or law enforcement, and they were researching this and it looks like they were scammed and that they can get their money back. They just have to pay a re-entry fee or some other fee. And it's another scam on top of that scam. And uh, the article talks about how some people get in this loop of scams. And one man in particular lost $1.2 million trying to sell his timeshare for $65,000, which at the time he had paid $47,000 for the timeshare six years earlier, and they offered $65,000 the first time. And then it kept going. And he he said it was like a drug because he kept thinking, well, this time is the time that I'm actually going to get my money back. But every time he would have to pay an amount of money to get the money, and then he would never get that that bulk amount. So what I found really interesting about this is that Mexican drug cartel is behind this and they're actually forcing labor. There is a situation that they said when eight people tried to quit the call center, their bodies were found in not altogether. <laughs> their their bodies were found and they had been murdered pretty brutally. So they are using a lot of the same tactics that they do to force labor and, and force fear, but it's behind call centers creating financial fraud for against Americans. There's been a few people that have been sentenced, but certainly not many. It's the Jalisco cartel is the cartel that's doing this. As with their well-oiled drug trafficking operations, the cartel turned defrauding American citizens with timeshares into a science. U.S. government investigators found it refined its schemes over time, learning with each iteration what was most likely to persuade elderly Americans to send money to Mexican bank accounts. The cartel hires call center workers who speak perfect English and teaches them to lure unsuspecting Americans into believing they are steps away from freeing themselves from their timeshares, which often charge maintenance fees owners no longer want to pay. The employees are taught to craft documents with names of companies, brokers, and attorneys that appear legitimate. In some cases, they steal the identities of actual lawyers and even real estate agents and promise they are them. Even if the timeshare owners do their research, they'll find slick websites. If victims do catch on, the cartel has another layer prepared to draw them back in. New employees call them, sometimes months later, saying that their information was found in a police raid of a call center. They tell them they've been scammed and are owed restitution. Enter people posing as government investigators ready to help get to the bottom of the fraud. 
whose services come from their own costs. Oh, well, the services come with their own costs, often far less than what the victim has lost. The money flows through Mexican banks, which cannot be counted on to take a stand, which is what an attorney uh, in Mexican law has said. This lawyer says that Mexican banks are not doing their job. So when they see money coming from the US into the Mexican banks, they aren't uh, flagging it or saying that it looks fraudulent. And the cartel controls its employees with an iron fist. Last June, cartel leaders learned that their fury on eight call center employees, they turned their fury on eight call center employees who local news outlets reported had tried to quit. Their remains were found in several plastic bags at the bottom of a canyon outside of Guadalajara. That is a lot more brutal than the call center job that I had for the merchant processor 20 years ago. Cartel expects its workers to call, make calls to Americans every day from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. I got that wrong. Uh, working in shifts, according to government officials. And this continues to go on. But basically, what I wanted to highlight the most is that we're up against some scary people. And I think we already know this, but the promises and, and the amount of money that can be made off of financial fraud, even if it's a fairly simple scheme like this, it can far surpass drug trafficking and the money that they can get from that. And it's not as dangerous. And when you are caught, you know, this article said that a couple of the people that have been caught for this have been sent to prison for 18 months. Uh, that's not as long as they would get for drug trafficking. Something to highlight, certainly not fun and exciting and light and airy, but um, it caught my attention and I thought that it might be of interest to you as well. Well, with that, I'm going to end it for fraud news this week, but I look forward to speaking with you more next week and I'll talk to you soon. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.